Hello, everybody. It's David Knight. Welcome to the OK Boomer Show. This is our first of 2021. Who can believe 2021 finally here? 2020 is behind us and uh, two great Aussie legends. Uh, one of them you've seen before. He's still ugly in 2021. That'd be John McClain. And John, uh, please introduce our new celebrity, Iron Man legend, another Aussie, Craig Alexander. Perfect. Go ahead. Thanks, Dave. Great opportunity to uh, to introduce a world champion on a couple of different levels. Number one, that had won Kona three times, as in the world championships for Ironman, but also winning 70.3 twice. So a five-time world champion, a great Aussie, a good mate of ours. So, uh, Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Hope you guys have loaded up on coffee. Uh, you guys are in Sydney. I'm in Denver, <laughs> so it's towards the end of my day and the uh, beginning of yours. But uh, look, it's just great to get together. And, you know, we've all gone through a lot, whether that's trying to navigate COVID and what's going on in the world or just, you know, getting to the start line and finish line of uh, Ironman, which we've all kind of done and celebrated at different times. But uh, Craig, it's great to have you here. Uh, you're a Cronulla boy, right? Yeah, well, not born and bred in Cronulla, sort of grew up. Well, it's now called the inner west of Sydney, but it used to be called the western suburbs back in the day. It's now a trendy, yeah. trendy part of Sydney, actually. It wasn't when I was growing up, but no, I moved down to Cronulla almost 25 years ago. I was coming down here most days to train. Obviously, there was a good, uh, good group of world-class athletes, not just triathletes, but swimmers, runners, and cyclists who lived down this way. And uh, Greg Welsh, who you guys know well, he he lived down here and um, was kind of my inspiration in triathlon and. I was driving down to train and then my wife actually got a job at St. George Hospital. She's an emergency nurse. So it made sense that we moved down this way and yeah, we haven't looked back. So I've been shy residents for a quarter of a century now. And, um, you know, I guess if they were going to revoke our citizenship down here, they would have done it long before now. So I think we're, they've held on to us and, and we're happy. It's, it's a great part of the world. Good, good spot to bring up a family, great beaches. And yeah, we love it down here. Well, Greg, Craig, was kind enough to say, Greg, Greg was kind enough to say, like, when we asked him, like, who should we get on next? He said, oh, you got to get Crowey on. He's got a good, <laughs> he's like, got a great story. So, um, anyway, John, lead off. Yeah, Crowey, would you mind sharing with the, with the audience about how you first got an interest in sport? Where did that start from? Was that mum and dad's influence, brother's, sister's school? So how did that start for you? Uh, I couldn't give you a specific moment like a light bulb moment i was just always interested in sport growing up i just would play all sports like a lot of kids in australia as you know john you you, you just jump in everything that's going um, we have a very great climate to be outdoors so we're outside a lot um, and i played soccer i played soccer that was my main sport growing up i played played soccer for 15 years um but tried everything played a little bit of water polo in high school played cricket um little bit of league, a little bit of union, wasn't quite big enough for those sports. Um, but yeah, just was always outside, always riding bikes around the neighborhood with, with all my mates um, and just played sport, loved it, loved sport. Um, I wouldn't say I didn't love school, but I, sport was my thing. I just used to love to be outside and be active and and soccer was my main sport. My, my first sporting dream was to be a professional soccer player in Europe. Um, my stepdad had been a semi-professional footballer in the Premier League in England. And yeah, that's what I 
I dreamt of doing and but was always interested in endurance sports. As you know, growing up in Australia, that race in Hawaii used to get huge coverage, uh, particularly on the wide water sports and um, and other shows like that. So I was always aware of Hawaii and the great battles between, you know, the two Americans, Dave Scott and Mark Allen. Watched watched a lot of those races growing up and and another sport that we have here in Australia, surf Ironman racing. It's it's very big. Um, you know, the Coolangatta Gold in particular is a big and iconic event that's on television. And I used to love to watch that each year. It was, it was roughly on the same time as the Ironman in Hawaii. So you'd often watch one and then the other. Uh, and I loved watching those sort of races that, you know, were sort of, a, I guess, an endurance challenge. It was about outlasting your opposition, you know. So even though I had sort of no background in endurance sports, and as I said, I was playing team sports, um, I was really interested in those events and used to love to watch them. So that was sort of my introduction into sport. And, you know, one thing led to another. My, my soccer dream sort of faded away and I was at university and um, had a hernia operation actually and was looking just to get back in shape and get fit again. So started running to get back in shape and had been more of a short distance athlete as a kid. I was always better at the, the sprint events, sort of 200 and 400 uh, when we did athletics at school. But yeah, it was something about those longer distance races that I'd seen on television that really interested me. And, you know, I was at university, started running to get back in shape. And my best mate at uni was a, a really good cyclist, an A-grade cyclist who used to do triathlons for cross training. And I was always badgering him with questions about triathlons. And he said, mate, you should just try one. So I did. We went and bought a bike out of the training post midweek and did my first triathlon at Cornell the following Sunday. That's and awesome. is, that, is that when you first got the bug is, and you're trying to put it all together and, and how did you go? Well, I raced in my age group because it was uh, the sport was a little different back then. Juniors was under 20 and it's now under 23, but I was I was already 20 or 21. So I was, I was too young to be a junior. Um, so I raced in the 20 to 24 age group and I think I did all right. I want to say I got second or, <coughs> excuse me, second or third in my age group and <clears throat> I was bitten by the bug. Um, <coughs> sorry, something caught in my throat here. Yeah, just loved it. Loved it from the start. Loved being outdoors. Loved being with all the other athletes. And yeah, it was just amazing. And did when you did join, the... Uh, did you join the, uh, the local <coughs> tri club? Because I know the Cronulla tri club. <coughs> phenomenal, right? Yeah, well, that race was in the Cronulla tri club's back backyard, but... Yeah, I was living sort of in the western suburbs at that point, and I was actually doing more of my training at that point on the northern beaches up around Balmoral. So I think I joined Balmoral Tri Club before I joined Cronulla Tri Club, and was fortunate, you know, when I joined Balmoral to, to meet Simon Whitfield and Greg Bennett. Um, and they became good friends and good training partners. We were all early in our careers, of course, but yeah, you, you mentioned, you know, getting bitten by the bug, John. It was it was kind of exactly like that. Just from the minute I rolled up at that first race in Cornell, being in transition with all the other athletes and sort of the excitement and just the uh, the challenge of doing three disciplines, three sports in one race and being outside. Yeah, it was just, it was one of those things that was, uh, was sort of, I guess, serendipitous in that it just, it just felt right. From my very first race, it felt like I'd been doing it my whole life, even though I'd made a million mistakes and really didn't know what I was doing. I was 
I had tennis shoes on and BMX pedals on the bike and all the other athletes had wetsuits and I, I just turned up in a sort of, well, they weren't board shorts, but they weren't far off it. Um, so I was very raw in terms of the experience and the things that you needed to do, but it just felt right from, from the very first, very first event. I remember driving, driving home afterwards and I had stayed for the awards cause I think I got second or third in my age group and just thought, you know, I can't wait to do the next one. I'll have to look up when the next one's on. Um, yeah, so I did, I did, you know, you hear people say you get bitten by the bug, whatever it was, it was just, it just felt like I belonged as part of that community. I, I liked, I, I met a lot of great people that first race, some of who I still see at the races to this day. So yeah, it kind of had a community feel. It just felt great to be outdoors doing, you know, a great sport and challenging yourself. So I, I did, I did feel right at home, right from that first race. How long did it take before you thought, you know, that you might make a career out of, obviously, you know, you finished second in your first race and you didn't have all the, all the best gear, but when did you kind of make that turning point to go, maybe I could make a living out of this? Yeah, I didn't know about making a living, but I thought I, I you know, I could be good at this sport because, you know, as you said, I got, I, I was second or third in that first race, but it was in my age group. But I, of course, like every age group, you look at, the results of the pros, right? You look at what the best people are doing. And I just thought that I was well suited to the sport for some reason, more mentally than physically. I mean, who knows what physiology we have, what our genetics, um, you know, what we're predisposed to be really good at. I just thought mentally, I, I sort of, I feel right in my wheelhouse here being challenged and having to sort of find ways to push and go harder for longer. And just that, that side of the sport appealed to me. So more mentally than anything else, I mean, I kind of hoped I, I would have the good genetics for it. And I felt I had some good physical gifts. I know all through high school, even though I played soccer and, and, and cricket and other sports, I'd, I'd done quite well at cross country and running at the, at the school carnivals each year. And just from the fitness I had from playing soccer. So I felt that, you know, I wasn't certainly out of place. Um, but I, I felt even from that first race, I could be really good at this sport. If I, if I start training the right way, if I get some slightly better equipment, get more serious about it. So the answer to that question is straight away, I felt I could, I, I had a, I was trending up. Like even from that very first race, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm heading in the right direction. And, but it was more so about just an emotional and a mental comfort. I just felt right at home in the sport, even from day one. I felt this, I'm, you know, sometimes we sp we pick a sport, but a sport picks us as well. I just thought I'm very well suited to this this sort of sport and overcoming the challenges. And um, and I did improve rapidly. I, I just, I was eager to learn. I was eager to train hard. And I think as we all know, in an endurance sport, um, with that consistency of training, you, you do improve quite quickly and quite rapidly in the beginning. When you start, you know, going from zero to 100, you... You, you, you're on the steep part of your improvement curve because you're doing a lot of training and going from really no training to some training, you improve straight away. And and I saw that and that kept feeding the fire, to be honest. Um, you know, that was within six months, I think I stepped up. That was a sprint distance race, that first one. I stepped up and did an Olympic distance race, which was uh, the national championships, actually. So my first Olympic distance race was the Australian Champs. And I was still racing in my age group, but I finished from memory second. I think a guy called Craig Redman won the race. 
Um, he finished 10th or 11th overall, actually, against the pros. I came second in our age group. And I think I finished top 15 or top 20 overall as well in that first Olympic distance race. Um, and that qualified me for the World Championships later that year in Wellington, New Zealand, which I thought, yeah, I may as well go and do. I was, I was in my, I think it was either my second last or my last year of my physio degree at Sydney University. And yeah, so it was a, it was a very quick introduction to the sport. I, I certainly jumped in uh, right into the deep end and, and I got my first injury as well because I started training and I was very rough around the edges. I had a, a big desire and a big motivation to train hard, but not a lot of know-how at that point. But the good thing about doing a physio degree is I started getting these aches and pains and I was able to self-diagnose. So um, I ended up getting shin splints, shin splints straight out of the gates. So I didn't have a great race in Wellington when I finally, when I went to the World Champs. I think I came 10th in my age group, 9th or 10th. Um, came off the bike about second or third. But what was funny was the guy who won our age group, John, was a guy called Tim DeBoon, who oh wow, who turned yeah he turned pro straight after that race. And obviously, for those for those listeners who know our sport, know he went on to be a two time Ironman world champion, and he won our age group in Wellington, New Zealand, uh, at the Olympic distance. And I'm pretty sure his time would have placed him fourth or fifth overall in that race, which was won by Spencer Smith. Spencer Smith won the pros. Brad Bevan got second. Uh, a guy from Germany called Ralph Eggert took the bronze. And I think if you go back and look through the results, you see that Tim DeBoom's time would have placed him right up um, in the top five overall. So, yeah. you know, that wasn't lost on me. I saw the results and the people I was racing against. So I guess that, that fueled the fire even more. And shortly after that, I came back to Australia. I got, got my injuries all sorted out and I started getting on the podiums in races in the open category, and that's when Triathlon Australia offered me a professional license. Um, I think it was early 1995, uh, and I got invited to do a World Cup race um, at the Opera House. That was the proposed site of the Sydney Olympic Games for five years down the track, and I consider that my first pro race, actually. It was October 1995, and I finished eighth uh, in a, an incredible field of 120 athletes. And Brad Bevan won that race. So, yeah, I guess I, I dived in at the deep end, but I was just just loving the sport and, and, and I felt right at home. So I think when emotionally you're happy and mentally you're in a good place, I think physically, you know, you work that part out later. And, and it just felt like it was meant to be for me. I just, I really, one, one thing, I, I didn't know if I was going to make a living out of it. I know I'm sort of waffling on here and the question was I just felt I could be very competitive I could be very good and and then when when you when that happens you get in a place where you can make a career out of it so yeah I, I started getting some good results in some bigger races and I was inconsistent like a lot of young athletes are and and, and inexperienced and making a lot of mistakes but always in the back of my mind was you know once I get some experience and you know, keep going along this path and be consistent. Yeah, I do think I can be very competitive and, and make a long career out of it. So, Craig, in uh, John's book, uh, which are the five M's of change, he talks about mentors as being like a huge enabler. Let, you know, talk to us about who your mentors were and and and, and how you lean into them to, to, you know, kind of steepen in that curve of learning and getting into the sport. Yeah, it's crucial because I think when 
when you get to the end of a career and you look back, there's a lot of moments, sliding door moments, I guess it could have gone either way. And if you happen to be in the right room with the right people, things can head in a better direction. So to have great mentors and role models, people who are looking out for you, it's, I think it's crucial on your journey. And yeah, I was very lucky coming down to the Sutherland Shire to train. I found myself riding in bike groups with Welshie and Brad Bevan, McKeeley Jones, and some of the greatest triathletes that not only Australia has ever seen, but some of the greatest athletes in history. Um, and I was just a young, raw kid who was eager to learn. And <clears throat> I would ask a million questions. And, <clears throat> you know, again, it was funny. I mean, I think it was the end of 1994, Greg had just won Kona. So I'd just come into the sport and Greg was back in Australia and he was shooting a TV commercial for one of his sponsors and they needed some, they needed some athletes for the background. He was the big, the big star of the commercial and <coughs> excuse me, I got this thing in my throat. He was the big star of this commercial, but they needed some, some athletes in the background and Triathlon New South Wales contacted Greg Bennett, Simon Whitfield and myself, who all used to train together. So we ended up being in the background of this, TV commercial for Greg and it was a three-day shoot and we just got to hang out with Greg for three days, ask him questions, pepper him and it was amazing. I know I, I certainly really took the opportunity. Every time we changed location, I made sure I jumped in the car with Greg and <clears throat> he was so gracious and such a humble guy but with uh, amazing energy and incredible experience and <clears throat> He was telling me all the things, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to look out for. Here are the things. Um, this is the path you need to go down. And, you know, he was so gracious and generous with his time. It's something I'll never forget, actually. And we stayed in contact after that. Every, and every time, you know, you got to remember, Greg's at the height of his career now. And that was his fourth world title. He was living full time in the US. But every time he would come back to Australia, he'd always check in with me. Um, to see how I was going and, you know, if he'd seen some of my results, he'd message and, and whatnot. So he was probably one of the main influences and, and role models, mentors that I had. McKeeley Jones was another one and her husband of the at the time and coach Pete Coulson. Um, they, I mean, training with McKeeley was like an exercise in learning how to be a professional, um, how to train properly, how to eat properly how to recover properly, how to get massage, sleep in an altitude tent, how to keep your sponsors happy, um, how to schedule a race season, how to interact with people at the race venue. I, I was so lucky that I had access to these people and got a front row seat to greatness. They were, they were <clears throat> Greg and McKeeley were the, the king and queen of triathlon at the time. So yeah, as a young athlete, if, if you're keen to learn and you pay attention, you, you learn a lot. And, and also just being out on, particularly training a lot with McKeeley, long training days, you know, she would just be talking. She was a wealth of information. And, you know, I'll never forget a lot of those, those training days and those opportunities where I, I just took on board all the information that they had to give. And I was sort of self-coached. I had different people, advisors and different coaches at different times, but for the most part, and for a long time in my career, I was sort of, I guess, self-coached. And so I would lean on, on those people, those sorts of athletes. And I was fortunate to call, to have them as friends. And I'd be able to call them up 
um, and just train with them even. So, yeah, they're very important. And for any young athlete, you know, it's some advice that I think is just crucial that if you have access to those sorts of people and in particular if you're idols and you're, the, the people you look up to, if they become your role models and your friends, then they're even better um, because I think yeah. the impact that they have and, you know, with, with when they speak to you, the, the message always lands well and it's something you never forget as well. You never forget their words, <clears throat> whether they be motivational or inspirational or even just training, uh, advice around training. You, ne you never forget the advice you get from those sorts of mentors and role models. So, yeah, I, I was very lucky. And even <clears throat> later on in my career, making the Australian Craig, team for the Craig, ITU World Championships. Sorry to jump in. I just want to transition, if we could, in terms of your first lining up in Kona for your first time. Can you kind of bring that to life for us, knowing that we both loved, as Dave did, Wild World of Sports back in the day when we used to watch it. Can you share with us your first experience on the start line for your first Kona? Yeah, it was it was it was an incredible moment. You know, it's something I watched on television, and I'd always wanted to go there and watch watch the race before I raced there. And I didn't get the opportunity to, to do that. But what I did do was, um, when I switched up my career, and I'd been in the U.S. racing for five or six years, focusing on short course, Olympic distance races, and half Ironmans, but. My goal in 2006 was the half Ironman World Championships. It was the first time they were having them, the 70.3 Worlds, and whoever won that race was going to qualify for Kona. So I had that race in my sights, and, and I went and, and did a two- or three-week training block in Kona in 06, um, leading up to the 70.3 Worlds, but also it was, it was about two months before Kona was on that year. So one of the best things I ever did, actually, because I got to um, train on the course, experience the wind, experience the heat, go down to the pier, just visualize what the race would be like um, and, and just really feel it. And I was there training with Lisa Bentley, actually. And we were both on a triathlon team called Try to Buy. And of course, Lisa had raced in Kona a lot and she went on to get third that year in 2006. So she was another mentor and I was lucky enough to be training on the course with her and her telling me how the wind shifts direction between the saddle and the volcanoes and what it's like to run out through the energy lab. And we did it. We did it every day. We did all of those things. And I got to experience it with Lisa. So um, then I finally got there in 2007. And it almost felt like it felt real, but it also felt like a dream because I'd watched it on television for 15 years or 10 years. Um, and it was amazing. But uh, it's kind of funny. It was, it was a dream, but I was also there with a job to do. So I was focused. It's not like I was just walking around with stars in my eyes. I was... I was in awe of being there, but I was also there with goals and ambitions. So there was a little bit of a nervousness and a self pressure to perform. Um, you know, when I went to Kona in 2007, I was the reigning half Ironman world champion, which is how I'd qualified. So I had high hopes and high expectations. So it wasn't just all stars in my eyes and looking around in wonderment. It was, there was a little bit of pressure as well because I, you know, I had high hopes for my, my Kona career so it was a combination of both those things trying to keep the expectations and the pressure in check and deal with that whilst also trying to enjoy the moment for what it was which was realizing a dream of actually getting to the first triathlon that I'd ever seen and the only triathlon that I ever really wanted to do or the main one that I really wanted to do. 
So, Craig, 2011, obviously, special year for you, right? You 70.3 world champion and Ironman world champion in the same year. Um, obviously a great year, but let's talk about like the toughest time, like and you, John, and I, we've all hit the bottom of the sport, whether it's injuries or just mentally being fatigued. Talk to us about that. Cause I think that's kind of at the, where the grit really forms, right? And then how did you, how did you get through that to get back up on top? Yeah, it's a great question because people always want to talk about the winning. And that's what they see. That's what most people see and remember the winning, but really the hard lessons and the learning has already been done long before somebody hangs a, a medal around your neck. So yeah, I, I just think that it's, it's the inevitable journey of every athlete, as you guys know, you know, nobody walks into any sport and wins you, you do your apprenticeship. And even if you have all the natural talent in the world in a sport like ours, you have to develop that aerobic engine and that aerobic conditioning, which takes years. You know, you hear people talk about the 10,000 hour rule to be world-class. I mean, how many hours of aerobic conditioning and training does it take to become a world champion triathlete? Well, it's, I don't know if it's 10,000 hours, but it's a lot of hours and you know, it's, it's a journey, right? And there's ups and downs and hopefully it's a, it's a, it trends like the stock market, like up and down, but, generally trending up over time. So there's going to be peaks and troughs. You've got to be able to ride the wave when you're at, when you're at the crest of that wave, but you've got to be able to, to weather the storm too um, in equal measures because there's going to be as many or more hard times and tough defeats as there are great victories. That's just the life of, of an endurance athlete. You know, I read somewhere that McKeeley, I think it was she had like a 35% win or 35 or 40% win ratio in her career, which is unheard of to win 35% of your races is normally they say, if you have a 20 to 25% win ratio, that's almost hall of fame level. McKeeley had 35%, but that still means she loses six or seven out of every 10 races. So, um, it means there's a lot of losing to do. Uh, and I don't think you, you want to get comfortable with the losing, but you've got to be comfortable in the fact that it's going to happen. And hopefully you you learn from it and and move on. And you know, in the end, I just one thing that I I guess I came into the sport as an older athlete, as a twenty or twenty one year old, having failed at a previous sporting career in soccer. And and by fail, I mean I didn't go on to what I wanted to do, which was be a professional footballer. And, and looking back on that, I always just felt that maybe I didn't have the right mentors at the right time. I didn't have someone whispering in my ear, you know, when, when the going got tough, someone whispering in my ear, now it's time to do the real work. Now it's time to really knuckle down. This is supposed to happen by the way, but what happens next is most important. How you bounce back, how you respond. I didn't really feel that I, I had that as a, as a younger athlete and maybe as a younger man coming through your teenage years, when I got into my twenties, I guess you're a little bit older, more, more experienced, maybe hopefully more mature. I just, my only hope for my triathlon career was that I was more resilient than I'd been uh, as a younger athlete. Um, yeah. So my mindset was always that I have to, to answer your question. My mindset was always that I'm going to have to weather the storms and that that's where the real good stuff happens though. Um, you find out about yourself, you find out how you respond, you find out, from, I guess, 
the technical standpoint of the sport. What are the things that I'm doing wrong? What do I need to improve on? Always looking to who the gold standards are, the Welshies, the Simon Lessings. What are they doing? How are they going about their business? Um, aspiring to close the gap between where I was and where they were. Um, so that, that's just part of the journey. And I think I had a better understanding and I was better placed in my 20s to accept that that's what's supposed to happen. Um, so I didn't see the failures as failures. I saw them as learnings and just a chance to ride out the storm, learn something and move forward. Uh, and that's what I did. And it, you know, you hear people talk about that all the time. It's a journey, focus on the process. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, what it means is that some days the alarm's going to go off. You're going to be dead tired. You're coming off a terrible defeat in your last race. So what are you going to do about it today? How do you form habits and actions every day that get you out of that trough and back to the peak? Um, that That's to me what the journey is. It's about forming actions and habits every day that get you to where you want to go. Um, so, and I didn't actually classify the failures as failures. I just saw it as part of the journey. It's another destination. And so long as I could see that I was improving, even if it was only incremental improvements, so long as I could see, and we all know in an endurance sport, like a lot of sports, even skill-based sports, you know, you learn with repetition, um, physical and mental, because you're visualizing the mental side of it as well. So that's how as humans we learn with repetition. I mean, you don't go out and swim 30K a week if you don't have to. And if you're Michael Phelps or Ian Thorpe, you don't go out and swim 70 to 100K a week. You have to. Even when you have their le level of natural talent, you still have to overlay a lot of hard work because it's repetition. It's repetition of work over time that leads to success. So that's your journey. Um, and I understood that that's what I had to do. I had to form good, consistent habits and be consistent with my training. And, and when you start from scratch and you do that, you improve quickly. But then you get to a point where you plateau off. And, and to get from 0 to 80% or 0 to 90% can be quite easy. To go the last 10 or 15% can take decades. And I think if you speak yeah. to any athlete in any sport, you speak to a golfer, you speak to a tennis player, you know, you might get in the top 20 in the world quite quickly, but to get into the top 10 and then to be number one can take, can take a lot of time after that. So, yeah, I just, I just felt that I guess my fire was being fueled by the fact I was improving quite quickly early in my career. And, and that led me to believe that I had the necessary genetics and, and physiology to do well, but it was going to be a long journey because those athletes who were winning the titles had been in the sport for a long time. And, and if I wanted to, to win those titles, I had to be in the sport for a long time too. So, um, and if you're going to be in something for a long time, you're naive to think you're not going to have bad days and not have a lot of bad days. But the other side of the coin is you actually need them. When you look back, and it's not even looking back, I knew it at the time because I had great mentors and role models. I had people like Welsh in my ear saying, no, this is supposed to happen. You're supposed to take a hiding out here at this point in your career and against these guys. That's that's exactly what's supposed to happen. But just keep closing the gap, keep working. Yeah. So I always had something yeah. to do. I always, I always had something to aim for or I always had a plan. So yeah, it's interesting. What did it feel like when... Sorry, John, you go. Sorry, Dave. I was just saying, what did it feel like, just the, the flip side of that, Craig, 
um, when it all did come together for you, 2011, what was it like, you know, making your way towards Alihi Drive and crossing the finish line? Can you can you share that with us? Yeah, it's well, I'd like to share because it with of you, all but that, I don't know if I can do those, it justice. It's because of all yeah. those setbacks. There were so well, many, as you mentioned. Because of all of those, that's what makes it so special. And I, I wish I could art, articulate what it feels like, but it's very hard. It's very emotional. You know, I was thinking of my family, my wife in particular, all the people who'd helped me along the way. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking about coming down Polani. And, and of course, in 2011, I was battling those cramps. So um, it was quite a painful finish. But emotionally, yeah, you're on a high. It's like, I can't believe I've done this again. And that was my first sort of thought process. And then I was, I'm just so lucky that I've had so many good people help me. That's what's, that's what's led me here. A lot of hard work and I was lucky I've got the right genetics and all of that, but I've worked very hard and I've, I've been very lucky. I've had so much support over, over so many years. That's exactly what I was thinking. And it's, it's overwhelming to think that, you know, someone like Greg or McKeeley, Pete Coulson, Dave Scott later in my career, just so many. A guy called Frank Jakobsen from Denmark, who I met in Kona in 2009. He helped me. He helped me get back in 2011. Um, that they, you know, took time out of their lives and their their days to help with messages, with with coaching, with advice. Um, so you've got to, You've got to surround yourself with the right people, and that's that's part of the challenge. One of the lessons, one of the great lessons is not only about the training that you need to do. I don't think that's so much of a secret. The secret is understanding it's a, it's a long game and surrounding yourself with the right people. I was going to say, I mean, Craig, you, John, myself, we've played pretty high level team sports, whether it be soccer, rugby league or rugby union. And then we found this sport called triathlon, which I think we all fell in love with. And part of it is, to me, it's it's not really a team sport, but it's a very cohesive, collaborative sport, right? I used to really look forward to the rides, right? Because there were group rides, right? And yeah, you'd, you'd hit each other up pretty hard, but you'd also have the time to talk and get into the sport and, and you know, in real time, get those conversations that were really transitional or pivotal to the careers of what we did right because we're all hungry for knowledge and you know i always found that the bike rides whether it was centennial park or you know wherever we were training with a group of hard-headed triathletes everybody was very open to share you know tips and tricks and then yeah you had to do the hard yards on your own like you had to go out for some you know solo runs or swims but it was a very it was a very interesting and is a very interesting sport for anybody to get into because you have that solo dedication but importantly i think you've got that that group dynamic right whether it's a tri club or a group ride or whatever it is but it just seems to be quite unique right and if and as you say if you surround yourself with right people which is really important in life right if you surround yourself with the right people then nothing but good things can happen yeah and it's it's the great thing about the triathlon community because it's a lot of like-minded people and it is an individual pursuit, but I guess our locker room was the, the group rides or just being on pool deck after a swim session. And that's when the camaraderie and the friendships build with the other athletes. And, 
Yeah, I mean, I remember doing a lot of long rides with often athletes I'd be racing in in Kona. But you form friendships and, yeah, I mean, that's that's the emotional connection that we all need as human beings, right? So um, you become invested in more than just your own journey. So this is one of the great things about the sport. And, you know, just like you mentioned, the, the triathlon clubs and just the communities and even each year when we go to Kona now, John, we don't race there anymore, but you see a lot of the people who you typically only see in Kona or um, at some of the big races. And it's like seeing family that, you know, it's the one time a year we all get together. It's like a footy team having their reunion. So um, yeah. a lot of those same, I think, emotions and dynamics are still in play. So even though you are out there when the gun goes off on your own, it's it's taken a community to get you there for sure. Um, and they're the things you think about, as you guys know, in the hard times in training and in the race, all the, all the people you've learned on, all the people who have, who have helped your training partners as well. The ones you've met when everybody's dead tired, yeah, it's pissing down rain. Nobody wants to go out and train, but you do, you hold each other accountable and that, that creates yeah. a bond that, that creates a bond that, is hard to break. So there is that community collaborative feeling that you mentioned, David, for sure. And and I think that's what lasts after the training and the, the racing maybe has, has passed. Um, just that bond yeah, that totally. you form with athletes who you've trained with and who, who have experienced the similar highs and lows in training and in races and something that you share. Yeah. I like to it's okay, David. Go ahead. I was going to say, if, if um, it'd be nice to be able to transition into an event that we all did together, the Nepean Triathlon. I'm not sure whether Josh has got some slides to share. There we go. So this is before doing um, the Nepean Triathlon 2014. And I guess another great connection for Craig and I was a guy called, uh, or is a guy called Steve War, who's a shy boy. And um, a funny story there, I rang him up and said, could you join me? And he said, no. And I said, why? He said, because I can't swim. And I said, well, I can't walk. And he said, okay, you got me. And then I went, um, he goes, you teach me how to swim and I'm going to be there. So it was nice to go to the Shire. And obviously I thought, you want to learn about triathlon, you want to learn about swimming. Well, let's bring the best Let's bring the best together. So it was wonderful for Craig to come along and kind of give Steve, some, you, you recall, Crowley, some initial uh, lessons in the pool because yeah. my memory serves me. I think you told me he didn't he didn't learn to breathe. It kind of he got up the other end and he was puffing and pounding. You said it might be a good idea to kind of breathe every now and again. Yeah, he was holding his breath. But a funny story. His 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 mum. I think it was his mum. He said was a swim teacher growing up and ran a swim school. Yeah. And it's like, man, how did you never learn how to swim properly? Of course, he was always playing cricket. But um, yeah, he was yeah. he was a good guy and. Uh, it was great that he was able to come out and support support you out in Nepean that day. Actually, I bumped into him down the street probably a week or, a week or two ago. Um, and it's interesting because I think after that, you must have stoked the fire in him. He's he's still, I'm not sure if he's doing any swimming, but I know he's still riding bikes and with the charity, that he, his own charity, they do a bike ride each year. So it's interesting. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was, a, that was a great day out in Nepean. I mean, obviously that's your old stomping ground and, there's a nice tie in there because it's one of the oldest and most historic. It's the site of one of the oldest and most historic triathlons in Australia as well. So um, it was great to get out there that day and support you. 
Well, let's kind of bring that to life. So uh, here I am. I've got uh, Crowy on one side for the swim, and the other guy is Kai Hurst, who you know only too well, Crowy and Dave, around being a, an Ironman surf life saving champion. Uh, also, uh, Olympic 10K swimmer twice, uh, sailed in the America. I mean, it's just an all time beautiful person. So here I am doing a one kilometer swim. Here's Crowy, here's, here's Kai. Um, so that was just a beautiful day. was tucked in just behind. So that was my swim thinking, you know what? This is so awesome. And I kind of look back, Crowy mm. and, and Dave, around how Ironman came to me as a boy watching Wild World of Sports and thinking, wow, this is just so cool to be you know, excited about watching world-class athletes participate. So Dave Olowski, you might recall the, the great Dave Late. Uh, yes. Dave Olowski, who finished third in, in 1978. He was there with us. So we had this beautiful... Yeah collection of human being athletes all uh, willing one person to assist him to get to a finish line so there was my swim the bike ride was just probably the most amount of fun i've had with a collective group of guys who i'd never cycled mm. with because it would always be me on my handbike opposed to a conventional bike and then yeah. that piece for the 10 kilometers which is always going to be a, a long day in the office and having you there i, I looked over um and then, and again back to you know triathlon and ironman here's a guy's won the thing three times so i'd look at you and i'd look at steve war and i'd look at dave and i'd look at john and my buddy and all these people um which gave me tremendous amount of encouragement to keep on going because as you mentioned earlier crowy uh there are so many down times for all of us in our careers and in life in general um so one of the moments that I recall, probably halfway, uh, uh, my feet were really sore. I took off my carbon fiber leg braces and, and the, the leggings, and my feet were just toast. So they're all ripped to shreds. And I remember um, Steve saying to me, he goes, you're right, play on. And as a captain and as a leader, given what he's done in the sport mm. of cricket, which you have a connection to, um, and looking at you and looking at all the other guys, is like, this, this day is not over. And again, you know, Kind of for me, it was always long days in the office. It's like, I got to keep on going. And I knew those people, many waiting for you and I at the finish line, kids in wheelchairs that wanted to have the opportunity to get a chance to meet you and David and others. So, mate, I wanted to say thank you to you personally for being a part of that um, and encouraging me to get to that finish line because it took all of what I had at that time, both for my wife and my son and my friends and my mentors, you being one of those. Um, Matt, it was really special. So interesting is it not that, you know, we both looked at Ironman on World World of Sports as kids and how we then had an experience and then how we come back together to to support each other. And Dave, obviously you're coming from the US, which was ultimately super special. So just want to say thanks, buddy. Yeah. I looked up to you doing the sport and great to have you a part of helping us get to a finish line. Yeah, speaking of finish lines, yeah, hey, Josh, pull up, pull up that photo of uh... – of Crowey finishing in Kona um, on the finish line. Beautiful. So it's all about num being number one, eight hours, three, amazing. And then pull up the Gator Man one uh, picture. This is how you do it when you're not a world champion. Go the, other, <laughs> the other way. <laughs> there you go. Full, full caped up. Um, finishing the, you know, finishing the line. Poor John used to have to carry my cape in Kona to the finish line so I could uh, finish the cape. But uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a little bit too far. I'm blushing now, that was uh, some memory, memory lane. But uh, look, Craig, it's been great to have you, man. What a story! What an Aussie champion you are. Um, I think you know, as you look at this, just some of the 
insights you've shared in terms of how you get through, how you set focus and, and it, it's, it's a hard sport and you've got to put in the hours, right? You've got to keep positive and surround yourself with positive people. So lots of good fun. There's uh, great positive people right here uh, on this show. So uh, yeah, John, any, any last thoughts, Craig, any last thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I think uh, before Crow wraps up, and again, thanks for joining us, Crow. I really appreciate uh, your time. Love you as a human being and your contribution to life. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we talked about COVID last year and it was a shitty year for all of us. Uh, and Crow has been a great example of, uh, you know, talking about we all get knocked down. That's that, that's his life. So it's having the courage and the resilience to keep on going, whatever your challenges are at the moment. Uh, and Crow today has been a good example to us all. So, um, Craig, over to you, buddy. Yeah, it was a tough year last year, but some years are tough and some years are awesome. We don't get to write the script. So, you know, I just think there's so many great things in life that are worth fighting for. It starts with family um, and and your kids and and your siblings. And I know people are doing it tough. I mean, we all do. We've all got friends who are doing it tough. But I just think it's important as as you get older. I mean, I think when you're younger, what, what I've noticed is, you remember, you remember when we were all young and, and you come up, you're a teenager, then you're in your 20s and you're trying to establish yourself and, and your life and you're so focused or driven, whether that be in sport or business or, or whatever. And I mean, you've got tunnel vision almost, which, which you need to be often. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at a place in my life now where things are slowing down a little bit and I'm just trying to enjoy family. And, and I remember being in my 20s though and hearing about people going through a midlife crisis or being depressed and, and not understanding it because I guess I was just distracted every day. I had a, a full-time distraction, a 24-7 distraction. I was training eight hours a day. If I wasn't training, I was recovering or visualizing and I was always engaged in the sport. But I think as you get older and, and you see some of the challenges that life presents, and, and last year that was, that was COVID and the pandemic, but people always have challenges in their life. You know, I think it takes a lot of strength to reach out to people. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a show of weakness to do that. I think it's a show of strength to say I need some help. And, um, you know, I'm certainly seeing now. I mean, I'm I'm 48 this year, and I think you're just at that generation. But I remember being in my 20s, hearing people in their 40s and 50s talk about the midlife crisis or um, being lonely or or whatever, or being depressed and not understanding it. But I, I just think it's another again. It's just the cycle of life and. Yeah, I mean, what, what I'm enjoying in my life now is trying to reconnect with, with different people and friends. Obviously, I traveled six months of the year, seven months of the year. I was gone for 20 years, 25 years, Neri and I and the kids. And what I've enjoyed the last few years is just being home and trying to reconnect with, with friends and, and with people. And, you know, that that's there's a lot of joy in that. Um, that's a great part of life, just engaging with people and yeah, life can be tough, but there's so many great things out there as well. And a lot of it starts with your interaction with your family and friends. So think of that as your first, as first base. If, if you're struggling, I think, you know, there's always out there, there's people to help. And, and you talk about it in sport, you know, having great mentors and the importance of, but I think it's important in life to have people, role models or mentors, or just people you can lean on in hard times, because you, you do get them, you get, you get hard times and, Sometimes they come thick and fast and you just feel like you can't take a trick, you know. Um, people say things come in threes. Well, sometimes it feels like it's coming in more than that. So yeah. that's when it really helps to have people in your corner. So that that's, I think for me, that's the, been the real joy in life the last five, 
five years or so is just trying to reconnect and reestablish strong connections with with friends and, and with people who maybe you lose touch with as, as you're traveling around or building a business or doing whatever it is you're doing. But life throws a curveball at you. You've got to be ready. Got to be ready to adjust and, and you know, take a swing. Perfect. Well, on that note, let's all take a swing. So um, let's keep at it. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, great episode, some really good learnings, but uh, be safe, be happy. Spread the word of joy and, uh, and love. And uh, until next time, OK Boomer signing out.